Hey listeners, this is Loam editor Kailea Frederick. Thanks for tuning into Loam Listen with Emilio Freeman. To continue supporting us and showing up as an independent publishing and media company, we are asking for your support. If you enjoy our audio or publishing offerings, please consider visiting our Patreon where you can become a Loam member. For as little as $4 a month, you will receive a monthly curated missive that includes early access to all our publications and products, along with first calls for submissions and other small gifts. Find us at patreon.com slash loamlove. I hope you enjoyed this episode. When I think about decomposition and our roles as decomposers, it is decomposing these centralized, you know, systems, hierarchies, and breaking them into, you know, the different nodes of possibility that are shared, that are spread out, that are distributed, you know, that will actually both be able to hold everything and also I think we'll just be better, we'll be better. Hi, Loam listeners. I'm Amiria Freeman, and you're listening to Loam Listen, your home for playful, juicy conversations on how we can reimagine the ways we live and relate to each other to survive and thrive within and beyond this moment. Every episode, join me and heartful, spirit-forward guests to learn how we can create the loamy soil from which new worlds can bloom. This season, we're exploring all things birth. At the top of this episode, you heard from guest Jordan Alexander Williams. Jordan, they, them, is a queer hoodoo, earth tender, and living ancestor, and was born and raised in the so-called Chicagoland area of Illinois, land stewarded by many peoples and lineages including the Potawatomi, Miami, Ho-Chunk, and at least a dozen more indigenous nations alongside Hoodoos and Black African peoples of Turtle Island, or so-called North America. In 2016, Jordan graduated from the University of Illinois, a land-grab university, with a degree in environmental science and a concentration in human dimensions of the environment. They have since collaborated with human and more than human beings across Turtle Island to develop the visions and leadership of environmental changemakers, support organizations with cultural shifts towards anti-racism and cooperative leadership, advance food, climate, and ecological justice, and build liberatory practices, processes, spaces, and relationships with two-spirit, queer, and trans, black, indigenous, and people of color. Jordan trusts that the liberation and regeneration of people and planet will come by dancing in the moon and sunlight, getting our hands in the soil, caring for each other, and reclaiming and evolving the earth source wisdoms of our ancestors. In their poem, Paul Robeson, poet Gwendolyn Brooks reminds us, we are each other's harvest, we are each other's business, we are each other's magnitude and bond. In a world buttressed by bootstrap theory, sustained by elements of an extractive economy, and carved out by, in the words of movement generation, radical individualism, how do we return to Gwendolyn's reminder? For Jordan and I, the answer comes down to decomposing the shit out of what we have now. 
In this episode, Jordan and I explore what it means to bring about the death of radical individualism to create the conditions for a world centered on collectivism, interdependence, and deep, deep relationship with ourselves and other beings. Before we dive in, Jordan sets the stage for our conversation with a reflection on their time recently spent at Soulfire Farm, an Afro-Indigenous-centered community farm committed to uprooting racism and ceding sovereignty in the food system. Hey everyone, this is Jordan. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I want to start by wishing everyone a beautiful Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, I honor and recognize um, the folks of these lands, Lenape Hokin, um, that the Lenape peoples and various Lenape communities, including Asopis peoples, um, who are the stewards of the particular lands that I'm on, um, here in Lenape Hokin, um, these lands have been loved and shared and uh, and nurtured by the indigenous peoples and original caretakers. And we know that, especially in the 17th century, that's when Dutch settlers became to come um, to these lands here along the Mahikanatuck River um, and began establishing settlements and, um, you know, began to take land that um, that had been being stewarded by others before they arrived. And so for me, as someone who works with the land, who works towards justice, who works at a land trust, it's really important that, um, you know, both in the relationships that I'm building with everyday folks, that I am building relationships um, with Indigenous and Black and people of color, folks who within this community have historically been uh, historically being within the creation of the United States, been violently displaced and pushed off the land um, so that I am a community and also that I and that we are working towards actual change to the way that the land is held and stewarded and shared and made accessible. How do we bring justice? How do we um, support land back movements and rematriate land? How do we bring reparations for Black peoples and folks of African descent here on Turtle Island um, and to Indigenous peoples and to other people of color into the land themselves? So um, I offer all of that as invitation and reflection to you wherever you are in your place on today and, like I said, on all days, because every day that we exist here on Turtle Island and we exist on lands that um, perhaps our recent ancestors did not come from, uh, it is our responsibility to be in right relation and reciprocity and move towards justice and sovereignty. So happy Indigenous Peoples Day to you all, uh, and may our collective work continue. I also want to note that, um, so I'm recording this um, somewhat after the fact, um, maybe about eight or nine weeks ago was when um, Amirio and I were able to record um, the, the, the interview that you will hear momentarily, uh, and I'm so excited, um, we're so excited to share that. Um, 
And since then, I had a chance to participate in a week-long farming immersion program. And so I wanted to share a bit of a reflection about that experience as a lot of that experience directly relates to the different topics that Emurio and I are able to explore in the interview. So for anyone who uh, is or is not familiar, there is this rad place um, farm, a group of people, organism that is known as Soul Fire Farm, and they are based on Sockridge Muncie Mohican land. Um, so the Sockridge Muncie Mohican uh, Band of Indians um, are uh, part of and related to the peoples of the lands where I am recording this. Um, so just north of Lenape Hokin our land stewarded by Mohican or Mohican peoples um, who are ancestrally related to Lenape peoples. Um, and then in the histories of displacement from these lands where I am, um, some of the Lenape peoples were pushed northward uh, and of course out west. And in that in those journeys um, may have joined with other indigenous groups. And so for example, um, that is uh, who one of those examples is who became the Sockridge Muncie Mohican group and community um, who have an office, I believe, in Troy, their historic preservation office. And through there and through other um, relationships are able to build um, with people like Soulfire Farm um, to build with people in this region who are looking to be a part of land rematriation work, who are looking to be in right relationship to the original keepers. Um, so I recognize the Stockbridge Muncie Mohican band um, who are in relationship with the folks at Soul Fire Farm. And so the Soul Fire Farm farming immersion um, is for folks who are aspiring, beginning, or at an intermediate level as it relates to growing food. Um, so specifically for Black, Indigenous, Latinx folks uh, of color to learn basic and developing skills in regenerative farming. Um, and doing that in a way where we're with our people, you know, so we're we're on the land, we're with all the different more than human beings that we're learning about and planting and cultivating and loving. Um, you know, we've got our hands in the soil and even if we can't see them, we know that um, all the microbes uh, and decomposers and earthworm friends are all in there. And we've got, you know, the air in our lungs and the sun above head clouds forming to send the water down back into the soil. And we've got the people. Um, we've got, you know, us, people of the global majority. We've got queer and trans folks, gender non-conforming and non-binary folks, folks across the spectrum. And so, um, yeah, it, it was just that, you know, being in this this space, um, you know, honestly, a portal in which we were all able to come from our different places. There were folks from around Turtle Island who were here for this week-long uh, farmer immersion retreat. And um, and we say retreat, and, it, you know, in some ways it was, and it was also not like, oh, we're just going to come 
and chill out and someone's going to do the work for us. You know, it was really about, uh, you know, when we're growing food for our people in our communities and we're doing this work that is rooted in the earth and we're tending to each other and caring for each other, that's a collective work. And it's not, um, you know, someone has reached this status or done this thing. And so they get to go chill over there and pay other people to do what they don't want to do. You know, it's that all of us are essential and that we're all important and we all have something to contribute uh, and nothing is uh, above or beneath someone else. You know, we're all um, capable uh, of developing skills and learning and growing uh, just as, you know, if we've got the ability to take care of a community need, then we go and do that uh, when there's no one else to take care of it uh, or when we've when we've got you know, an empty hand or we've got a free or spare moment. And so that was a culture that uh, was, you know, co-created together as we woke up each morning and had breakfast and meals and sang songs and shared prayers and danced and then, you know, did movement as we prepared to get our body uh, out onto the land, um, doing various, you know, various tasks that are needed around a farm, whether it is seeding, um, whether it is transplanting baby plants into the ground, cultivating and harvesting. Maybe it's deciding that actually there are some friends growing here in this field and there are too many of them and we want to make sure that there's space for these other friends. So we're going to pull them, but how can we also honor their lives? And is this uh, someone who we can use as a medicine? Well, how do we honor uh, their medicinal bounty as we harvest and, um, you know, tending to the goats and to the chickens and um, cooking together and cleaning together. And so, yeah, I, this is kind of just meandering, um, but that's what the, the week was. Um, we talked about agroforestry, and so how do we understand, um, you know, ecological stewardship and partnership in a way that, you know, we, you know, we we support the growth and development of a forest, and at the same time, why can that forest not be providing abundant food? So what are the various ancestral and indigenous knowledge systems of how to create a forest garden? Um, or a forest farm or agroforestry, you know, all of these names could be used to talk about similar concepts of having perennialized agriculture or food sources. So um, something that's going to come back year after year, like a tree or like other perennial herbs like mint, um, which come back every year and you don't have to replant them, um, like nut trees and like fruit bushes and shrubs. So how can we cultivate food in this way so that there's just abundance, you know, right outside our doors um, that is able to grow in alignment with the water flows and the sun cycles year after year. So talking about agroforestry, talking about the importance of soil and the foundation of what we're trying to grow in, um, you know, what are the different ways that we can add and help to build and layer uh, on top of our soil and to add organic matter and to add nutrients and, um, you know, to plant actually certain friends that 
add to the soil. So who's someone who can come in and actually make uh, a nutrient like nitrogen more abundant in the soil? We can plant uh, different friends for that. And then what friends like to grow together because this one is able to provide a service that this other one needs, who's then able to provide a service that this other one needs. And so we can plant things together um, sort of in little communities because they help each other to thrive. How can we do that? And how can we also learn from that? And of course, how do we understand what it means to have sovereignty um, to liberate ourselves with and through the land. And so understanding that, you know, the ability to grow food is essential to our survival. And so what does it mean when, um, for many of our peoples, we have over the centuries repeatedly been dispossessed and removed from the land, removed from the ability to make decisions, uh, to, and then removed from a place of understanding the land as kin, as a sovereign being within themselves with whom we actually need to make decisions together with and not, you know, over. Um, how do we, you know, create within all of the systems that are existing? And how do we also understand the vast mycelial networks of resistance, of, of, of creation, of abolishing what is and creating something different, these networks that exist outside the systems, um, you know, under the surface. Um, and ultimately, how do we just, you know, be nourished and heal ourselves, heal each other, and heal the planet? Um, at the root of all of that are our ancestors, the people who we come from. And so in our week together, we spent a lot of time calling in our ancestors, sharing our different um, family and cultural practices and traditions with each other um, in a way that, at least for me, didn't feel exploitative, didn't feel appropriative, didn't feel extractive, but felt like this beautiful weaving of a tapestry of our collective brilliance and magic and all that we were bringing and representing and all that our ancestors bring and represent when we come together in that way, when we share uh, from our hearts and from our souls and our spirit. Um, and with all of that, we had so much fun and we danced. Um, like there was always a bop, always a song. Um, we had uh, beautiful fires, um, swims in the lake. Um, we were offered a spiritual bath by Leah Peniman and Naima Peniman. Um, the food was so amazing and it was so yummy and delicious to cook with others there. And I could just go on and on. Um, but all to say that it really felt like this taste of what, you know, what we're all, at least the folks who were attending, a taste of what we're all looking for, what we all know within our spirits that is our birthright to be able to live in that way, to exist in that way, to tend to our needs uh, and to share stories and to love on each other and to heal and to call in our ancestors and to prepare a space for the future. You know, that at its core, um, I think for all of us, finding ourselves within that calling. And so to be able to come together for this time 
even though it was brief. Um, and, and to to build that, to build just a little piece, and then to be able to take that back to our various places, um, feels so powerful. And so um, I'm just so grateful to have been able to be there at Soul Fire. I'm grateful to have been able to lean into many of the topics that Amurio and I are going to talk about um, in the interview that you'll soon listen to, um, you know, and to to just have this space to, you know, be a workshop um, for some of that, a workshop in community. So, um, yeah, that's my, my reflection. And I hope that gets you excited uh-huh. and um, gets you intrigued by what uh, you're going to hear about in just a few moments. So with that, I will come to a close. I, again, honor and give thanks to um, Lenape peoples, the peoples of these lands, um, of uh, of all lands, um, to the land themselves. I just give thanks and deep gratitude. Ashe. Hi, Jordan. Welcome to Loam. Listen, how are you? How are you feeling in this moment? Um, I'm feeling good to be chatting with you, um, to be on this platform, to be sharing with whomever uh, will be sharing with us in the future. So just excited and and noticing the cars driving by and inviting myself into breath. Mm, I love that. And I'm thinking so much just around like Alexis Pauling Gums, who does so much great thinking work around breath. And they're just a constant reminder that with breath, just to, you know, surrender. And I think we're both just practicing that after pretty tiring weeks. And I think that car is just a reminder, just like surrender, be present, slow down, into her easefulness. So I'm excited to do all that with you. And I'm excited for our conversation. So I think over the course of getting to know you a little bit better and dive more deeply into your work, um, especially your role around what it means to be a land steward or an earth tender, um, it's just been really beautiful thinking through how it seems like you're someone who's constantly navigating what it means to be in relationship with this thing that I've been calling the individual, capital T, capital I. Um, And that's like a pretty abstract way of me um, um, conveying the idea. But what I really mean is this conglomeration of like mythologies around man dominating nature or rugged individualism or um, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps that have really come to structure our lives and how we live. And I feel like your work is a direct counter to all of these systems and philosophies and epistemologies and ways of being. Um, And it really does feel like an invitation to get to the other side of all of that. And I know a technology for doing that, that we're both really interested in is this idea of decomposition. And so yeah, I'm just really excited to like unpack all of this and talk about what is the individual, what does it mean to decompose it? But before really diving into that, 
Um, I would love to know for the sake of the audience, um, who are you and what do you do? And you can take that in whatever way you want to. Awesome. Um, yeah, thank you for, for sort of framing all of those juicy bits. Um, yeah, so I'm Jordan and I use they, them pronouns. And um, I guess recently I've been playing around with how do I describe and identify myself? So uh, I'm a queer person, um, I'm a queer hoodoo. I've been working to delve into my, um, my lineages and the spiritual practices that were birthed by folks who have been kidnapped, um, brought here to Turtle Island against their will, um, people who braided seeds into their hair, not knowing what lied beyond the other side of that vast body of water. And so speaking to my African ancestors um, who were brought here and the traditions and practices and cultures and beauty and magic and abundance that they created um, and that I come from. And so understanding this Black experience here in Turtle Island, um, the experiences that share in that lineage, understanding all of that as hoodoo, understanding that as our ancestral practices that you know weave our African ancestors with what was gained and learned um, from our indigenous kinfolk here on Turtle Island, uh, just in terms of life, in terms of navigating life, and in terms of the um, vital plant friends and medicines that exist around us. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, the different aspects of European culture, spirituality that are woven into that. And so um, just sort of weaving that frame uh, in terms of how I identify with, you know, a particular lineage. And of course, I know that I come from many peoples. And so there are many more stories that exist um, in my blood and bones and in my body that I'm also seeking to learn more about. Um, so that's a little bit about, I guess, ancestors, and I definitely like to presence them. Um, I want to call in my grandmothers, Barbara Coates and Mary Elizabeth David, uh, both of whom transitioned and are now ancestors as of last year. Um, and so I, I honor them in my work um, and in my everyday life. And I'm grateful for them and, and for the joy and the care and wisdom that they've offered me and that they continue to offer me. Um, I'm an earth tender. Um, and so in that way, I seek to offer care and reciprocity back to the earth and to the more than humans. Um, and I identify myself as an ancestor, as a future ancestor, as a living ancestor, knowing that all that I do now in this life will inform and impact on future generations, uh, be those biological generations, uh, like biologically related to me, and also our collective, you know, that we understand as a collective and as an earth and as a planet, um, as creation, that we are all interconnected and that, you know, all of us are intertwined in our ancestries and in the futures and in the present. So. Um, you know, just kind of a living ancestor for all that's to come on this planet we call Earth. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit about me.
thank you for all of that. And thank you for inviting in the ancestors. And I'm like surrounded by all of my partners, like plants right now. And there's like a propagation in the back. So like, I'm just excited to sort of really surrender to like all the wisdom that like your ancestors, my ancestors are bringing to this conversation in this space and also just like are more than human kin. So mm. thank you for that summoning. But I think I want to start here at a very foundational level. And I would love to know for you, based off of who you are and your experiences, like when I say and bring up and offer this idea of the individual, what does that mean for you? And I'm curious to know how the individual has shown up um, specifically and uniquely in your life and what kind of relationship have you forged in relationship to this like thing? Mm. Yeah, I appreciate starting here. My mind immediately goes to someone who um, I have, I've never encountered in person, um, but I've had a chance to learn from them via podcasts and books. And this person's name is Carol Sanford. Um, and she offers a book called The Regenerative Life. Um, and much of what she offers in that comes from her own lived experience as uh, including her upbringing with her grandfather who is Mohawk and the way that she weaves um, her sort of ancestral indigenous wisdoms with her study and practice of different esoteric Western systems that um, are very much foundations for so-called Western society. Um, however, I think from that foundation, much of that has been taken up into this idea of the individual. Um, and so I think about Carol in the way that she talks about, you know, these different typing systems that exist. Um, so, you know, we have like the Myers-Briggs and Enneagram, and I'm not here to, you know, critique or bash any system um, or folks who engage in them. Um, I definitely enjoy learning about all of them. I'm like an astrology person. I'm like, how do I understand about me and myself? And I think the frame that Carol has offered, as well as some other teachers who I've learned from. Um, someone by the name of the People's Oracle, who's an astrologer and offers a very different frame and understanding. You know, it's looking at these different typing systems and the ways that often folks are, you know, it's trying to find yourself, trying to understand, okay, this is how I am and how I show up. And that's how that person shows up. And this idea of fixity and, you know, um, and I think the, the reframe is that those systems are articulating maybe archetypal roles that one are present in everyone um two that connect all of us together um and three that there is fluidity and flexibility and change and perhaps there is a way that someone has an affinity or gravitates towards a particular role however these different energies and archetypes are present in everyone and everything um and so i think about this because I think often, you know, from my experience, there is this desire of like, you know, who am I, you know, how am I showing up? What is like unique and special about me? And I think the reality is that, you know, every living being, you know, anything that can be understood as, you know, as a whole living being or a whole living system 
is unique within its essence, you know, and so there aren't these duplicates, you know, that uniqueness is just inherent to nature. And what's also inherent to nature is that, you know, there's a hole that's nested in another hole that's nested in a larger hole that's nested in a larger hole. And so we actually have, you know, these fractaline holes. And so we learned this from folks like Adrian Marie Brown um, and in their book, Emergent Strategy. And so understanding how maybe we have these different components or parts, how do we understand them as whole within themselves? And then also how do we understand them as interconnected to everything else? And so even if you know there's some distinctiveness, there's some particular unique essence of this one aspect, that aspect is connected to everything else. And so, you know, it, it to me, what it it brings all of this into is that um, it's a both and, you know, it, it reflects the way that there's the inner and the outer, you know, there's the part and there's the whole. Um, and so rather than focusing exclusively on one, we only focus on the part. How do we expand and understand that it's a both and? that we need to both understand these parts as well as the whole within itself. And also that it can be helpful to actually, rather than seeking to fragment, to individualize, to separate, that we can actually first understand the wholeness at play, understand the functions and the interconnections and the relationships, you know, before just diving into, okay, and like, what are these individual parts and components? Um, so that's where I would I would begin, you know, kind of in this foundation setting is, you know, calling on, you know, all of those folks, all those femmes and and women of color who, you know, have these understandings that are passed on from their ancestors um, that are really rooted and founded in the earth and sourced from the way that the earth is whole onto itself. And also the earth is a part of a cosmic system. Um, and then the earth is comprised of so many different systems and ecosystems and so you know what is the individual within all of that you know i think it becomes blurry uh, and we understand the shifting nature of energy and you know and so no thank you for that and i love that you sort of bring up how inherently there is like this individualism that we all possess but that's also in this deep inherent relationship with a greater sense of wholeness and i think we have gotten to a place where like there's been this wholesale erasure of that wholeness piece leading us to this really like magnified um, sort of commitment to the individual that's led us to white supremacy and capitalism and all these other systems. And, you know, these are systems that we've all been indoctrinated into. So I'm really curious to unpack with you and learn from you what has been your journey with sort of reconnecting to that wholeness? And um, I'm thinking of like phrasing that you sort of pointed me to through sort of the preparation for this conversation. And it isn't that like, you know, we lost this wholeness. It seems as though we've been lost to it instead. And I'm really curious to know and learn how did you get back to that re-understanding? How did you go through that sort of re-education? And I'm really interested in knowing how being a land steward, how being an earth tender, being a hoodoo, how all of that has informed um, that journey as well. Mm. Um, well, those, those last pieces that you mentioned are definitely, I think, the root of it all. Um, 
so in 2019, in kind of late winter 2019, I was going through it, <laughs> like many folks do, uh, many folks in the nonprofit industrial complex, especially queer, trans, BIPOC. Um, I was feeling frustrated, disconnected. You know, I was doing work adjacent to the environment, focused on supporting conservation leaders. And that felt important to me to be doing. And also, I was just in front of a computer all day long. And in terms of the way that I was able to relate to the folks that I was working with, I just found myself feeling that I just wasn't feeling aligned um, in that space and in that way. And when I reflect on that moment and I reflect on the journey to now, um, I'm just like, yep. That's when I finally started listening more, you know, listening to myself, um, listening to the earth, listening to my ancestors and, you know, all of them kind of also coming from within me of like, there's a calling, there's a desire for something that is different. Like, I feel it in my body, I feel it in my spirit that as important as I can find what I'm doing you know, I've found, I've placed myself within this nonprofit complex, within this capitalist structure to like so-called do better or do good. You know, I found this place and it doesn't feel that this is actually what I want to be doing. And so I was, someone very close to me, a friend shared with me about this new emerging program that was you know, a quote unquote gap year program that was experiential learning and how to tend to the earth, um, how to grow your own food, how to learn about plant medicines and to forage and wildcraft and move in a rhythm with seasons and cyclical change, um, as well as how do we relate to each other? What is the caring? What is the connection? You know, what is the healing? What is the goodness that is needed for us to just be well as we're existing in this world? Um, and how do we do that work together? How do we cooperate? How do we move collectively? And so that program brought me here to this region where I am now. Um, I'm here in Lenape Hokin. These are lands stewarded by Lenape peoples as well as Mohawk folks. Um, where I was was a little bit further north from here. Um, and I don't know, there was something about the space I was created. There was something about the folks who I went through this program with, who I lived with for a year. Um, there was something about what we weren't seeing, you know, the, the spiritual, the spiritual, the spiritual energy that brought us all there, that kept us in relationship, that had us all questioning, like, what is on the other side of this experience? What are we building together and what are we digging into together? Um, and so that year was such a blessing for me. This was summer 2019 through summer 2020. And in so many ways, I really reflect on that experience as a preparation for me to then experience and come into this pandemic with the rest of the world. Having been able to kind of take a step back from life to try to re-understand 
well, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be connected to the earth, to be connected to the people around me, to be connected to place, to be connected to my ancestors and understanding of myself and my body, you know, in a, in a you know, not just, oh, I'm hot or cold, but like, what is, what's happening in my heart space? Um, you know, like, why am I, why does my body tense up when this happens? And so I think it was in that year that I really found a space to cultivate those practices for myself, to learn about the wisdom of the earth and that of my ancestors, to understand, you know, how, how these Afro-Indigenous technologies of growing food in a way that actually builds the soil and that adds vitality to ecosystems that this is those are the folks who I come from and that they actually brought those wisdoms over here it's why they were taken you know they were highly skilled people the indigenous peoples of these lands you know why skilled moving together in in ways that reflect how nature moves and how nature grows and how nature evolves um, and not in like a romanticized, you know, mystical way, but in a very real way, because that is the earth. And so um, to anyone listening, I would definitely recommend checking out Movement Generations Just Transition Zine, in which they offer, um, they offer so much in that. I often lean into the five principles of ecology that they offer. Um, and many of those we've already been naming, you know, this idea of nested holes this idea of zero waste, that there is no trash, there is no away. We aren't disposable, people aren't disposable, the planet isn't disposable. And so there are these principles that I had a chance to really begin to ground myself in and to begin to re-understand this world around us, to re-understand the economic systems, the political systems, the colonial cultures that have been placed, you know, enforced onto people and planet, and that they actually make no sense. <laughs> you know, they, they don't really make sense. Um, violence is the essence. And it, to me, it feels like an anti-human and an anti-life way of being. Um, and so I think this that experience and then seeking like what is next for me, um, that's kind of been this journey of working to reclaim those ancestral wisdoms, to reclaim a reciprocal relationship with the earth, which you know, it, 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 that's what it is. And I, I also don't, again, want to romanticize or glamorize because right now I'm sitting in my home on a laptop connected to the Wi-Fi and the internet that is being produced by fossil fuels. And so I have not arrived in some mystical alternative way of being. Um, however, I have brought a different kind of intention to how I move through the world and how I make decisions and the intention that I bring, the places that I want to devote my energy and my magic and my talents. I really just want to honor our like mutual commitment to really just like surrender to what the conversation is bringing. And I kind of want to like pause for a little bit and really talk about the body for a second. Um, and I'll never forget in conversation one of my absolute favorite professors shout out to James Padiglione um and we're having this conversation around what it means to be a human who's connected to the more than human world and we end up going in this direction of well in a very physical literal way we are connected in terms of 
at a very molecular level, like your molecules are in consistent vibration with the molecules of like the air around you and the tree that maybe you're touching. And there's this quite literal blending that happens and this quite literal breaking down of any sense of individuality and going back to this place of like wholeness. And you sort of elevated that centrality of the body within your journey of like remembering sort of the fractality of our life. You know, you brought up, you know, ads like understand what's happening in my body, like understand my heart space. And I know just like reading over and preparing this conversation, you identify as like a dancer and certain like self archivings of um, who you are. And you brought up movement generation whom I love so much. And even within that, I'm thinking about the dual meaning of movement in terms of a collective of people, but then like quite literally movement as in moving your body, like all of this work, all this reclamation that has to happen um, is so deeply tied to the body. It's so deeply embodied. Um, so I just want to pause for a second and ask you, what has been the place of like your body and your relationship to your body when it comes to reclaiming the sense of wholeness? Because I think for us, the body is like, the frontier that sort of legitimizes this sense of I am an individual that's disconnected from other people, but that body, that frontier, that mythology of that being the end all be all, I think is so critical to like disrupt. So again, like swinging it back to you, um, what has been the place of like your body within all of this work? Mm. Yes, I, I've just been nodding vigorously as I, as I listen. Um, and what comes to mind for me is just wanting to, you know, part of it is how do I get into tune? And then it's about being honest. So, um, you know, where so much of the world, folks who have the access and privilege to be on computers, to be online, um, to be on Zoom, there's been so much more of this in, on the computer, on a screen, staring at the screen, um, you know, sitting down and just thinking about the, you know, for work, like I, much of what I've done um, since graduating from college has been computer work. And fortunately that has shifted for me and that was an intentional choice. Um, but just going back to, you know, you know, like right now I, I'm at this computer and what's been so liberating for me is being in spaces with other people who we're supporting each other to prioritize just our literal physical needs. So, oh, do I have to go to the bathroom? Okay, yes, I'm in a meeting with, you know, my so-called boss, our executive director, this, you know, important person at the organization. However, is their status or title more important than the fact that my bladder is bursting right now? Like, was I rushing to get to work today and didn't get a chance to eat? And I actually can't focus. My mind can't focus, you know, on this conversation, on my work because I have not eaten. And so I think about all the ways that for me, and I think for a lot of folks who I'm in relationship with, we have been, you know, cultured in to these ways of you just ignore, you know, you ignore those things. It's about what you can produce. And anybody that, you know, 
anybody that can't produce constantly and get the most efficient result is then cast aside. And so out of fear of not wanting to be cast aside, then, you know, there's more conforming into that narrative of, you know, I have to ignore my body needs. I have to ignore the fact that I only got four hours of sleep last night. I have to ignore all of these things in order to show up in these ways. And, you know, that's just, I, I just, I just can't do that anymore. <laughs> um, and I, you know, and I also recognize that, again, within the context of what has been created, it is even a privilege to be well and to be able to make decisions about what you do with your body. And so many folks don't have that, don't have that privilege, are unable to do that. And so for me, it's a desire to understand that, to recognize that, to do what I can to shift the spaces around me um, to create these fractals of change so that more people have that opportunity. And at the same time, because I have it, I'm going to use it. It's like recognizing the privileges and putting those privileges to good use. It wouldn't be a good use of my ability, you know, to do that if I were to just be unwell and ignore what my body needs and show up in like these really uh, terrible ways with the people who I care about. And then and now I'm like angry and sad or upset. And it's really my body needing something and me ignoring. And if I actually, you know, take the time to take care, you know, to say, actually, I can't do that thing. I can't go there. I can't be there. I can't do that because right now I need to go take care of this vessel that is supposed to lead me through the rest of my life. Um, so I think about, you know, my relationship to my body um, in relationship to the work that I do in relationship to, you know, when I it may be making those decisions that, you know, something else is, is more important than like the literal physical needs of my body. And, um, you know, as I've been trying to say, I don't want any of this to come off as like, I'm perfect, or I figured it out, or I don't struggle with these things. Like, it's the fact that I do struggle with them, I think that I bring so much attention and intention to. And with that said, I've been fortunate to now shift into a role where I get to be outside, and I get to be in the sunshine, and um, I get to, you know, work with plants and, and work with the earth and be near flowing water and all of these really um, amazing things that are just so deeply nourishing to me um, and very healing uh, from those histories of having, you know, to sit still and to be quiet and to just listen or do. And it's like, I get to actually um, engage and, and have agency in a different way. And so, um, yeah, my body thanks me. Well, thank you for that. And I I think it's just like so joyous and pleasurable to hear that you are in a space where you get to live in this way. And I think you and so many other people are actively modeling, like, what does it mean to, again, move from this place of obsessing over the individual, getting to a place of remembering wholeness and our fractal lives. And I, I'm thinking as a whole, I think so many of us 
have been actively thinking about what does my version of that look like? Um, I think amid a pandemic, amid so much magnified racial trauma, um, I think we're all collectively in a place of refusing and uh, sitting in a place of daydreaming and imagining what is on the other side of all of this. Um, again, I brought up like refusal. That's been such a huge like idea within the world of sports and beyond. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the great resignation as more people quit their jobs and this imagining of like this capitalist way of like allowing your labor to be exploited and extracted. So I want to know for you, as like you're living your life out and modeling this way of being that's in direct counter to how so many of us are living our lives day to day. Um, like in your day to day, as you're daydreaming, as you're resting, as you're living out your life and within this new area of work that you're in, what does living on the outskirts of the individual mean to you? Mm. And what does that look like? What does that taste like? What does it feel like? All the things. Mm -hmm. Where my mind goes to is to queer culture. It's something that has been really healing, liberating, delicious for me is remembering uh, and recognizing the inherent queerness of nature. Um, and so when I am, you know, standing amongst a bunch of herbs, amongst tosi and different types of mint and chamomile and, or I am, you know, whatever it might be, I, I work with plants a lot, but I, I'm like, oh, and there are other more than humans. Like there, you know, puppies and groundhogs who I call ground pups and birds. And I just think about all of these friends, you know, that are not existing and these binary, you know, ways of being, um, who, you know, and I use this term queer, which, you know, again, that's like a, a human label that I am placing onto nature and onto them. But I'm like, yeah, they're so, they're so queer, you know, things aren't, you know, you read a science book and it's like, this is the male, blah, blah, blah. And this is the few. And it's, that's not a reality. And so, you know, check out Alexis Pauline Gums, Black Feminist Lessons for Marine Mammals. And, you know, there's just, nature is queer and queer is nature. And so for me, I think about my, my relationship to my queerness, you know, the relationship of my queerness growing up in a Black church and those challenges and, um, you know, being socialized in this way as like a man, which I don't identify in that way, you know, coming to a place of accepting myself and like so-called sexuality and identifying as a gay man. And I just think about the different ways that I've navigated my queerness throughout my life and the different spaces that that's brought me to. And how, you know, spaces in college where, you know, we're gathering, we're dancing, you know, we're drinking, we're having fun, um, you know, how important that was for me. And I would say now where I am is, you know, I can still get down, you know, on the dance floor. I can still like have fun. And also I want to hang out with queer folks out on the land. Like I want to grow food together, you know, like I want to, um, I want to be in deep community 
you know, I want to be living communally, you know, I don't want, you know, my own apartment, you know, top floor of some luxury condo in New York City, you know, in this kind of like fast paced urban, you know, wasteful life. And I, and I don't say that uh, with judgment um, or critique uh, of, you know, anyone who's, that's their experience and anyone who is a queer person out here living their lives, affirming themselves, affirming their people, their communities. Um, and I think in these most recent, you know, pride months during June, I think so many people have been putting on blast the ways that pride is, you know, so capitalist, you know, in the ways that it is taken by banks and corporations and, oh, we're, you know, let's have our rainbow logo. And I just think about, you know, the ways that capitalism shows up and some of the different experiences that I had, you know, moving through these different spaces, like as a gay man, like in, you know, in a city space, um, you know, it's like in the transaction, you know, it's like, oh, you go to the bar, you find someone, you hook up, you don't talk to them again. You know, we are going to go to this extravagant brunch and overindulge and like, you know, and I love, I love brunch and like, I'm all here for the mimosa. So don't get me wrong. Um, you know, but it's like, oh, go to the, go to that restaurant over there. You know, no one, no black folks there, you know, no one who looks like us, but let's go there and give them our money you know, these different ways of in order to have that community, in order to have that connection amongst other queer folks, it's like having to participate in these capitalist systems, having to buy or purchase or create more waste. And so, um, you know, for me, I've been working to shift into, I guess, a different aspect of understanding my queerness as one that is really based on the earth, you know, that is very much about refusal, that is very much about counterculture, that is about, you know, what all the other folks are doing. Like, we're not doing that. That's not what we're about. And this is what we're about. And honestly, I forget your original question and how I got here. So I'm like, I hope I'm like answering it. Um, but that that's that's what is present for me in my mind right now. No, honestly, these questions are just guides, but wherever the spirit takes you, honestly. And um, before we get into just like, how do we get to a place of like living on those outskirts? You mentioned more than human can, just like the ground pups and herbs. And I'm wondering for you, have there been any examples from the more than human world that you're just like learning so much from around what it means to live in wholeness, to live in fraternity? Um, yeah, I'd love to hear about some examples of just some more than a human family that you've really been studying and leaning into and um, just like looking to as a blueprint. Mm -hmm. So I work and encounter a lot in my everyday, a plant called mugwort, as well as knotweed. Um, and so these are two friends that are just so, they're so good at what they do. Um, they have these incredible, resilient, vigorous rhizome networks um, you know, they move under the ground and they spread out and they're just so powerful and they grow tall. And so no one else is really able to grow up under them, like in their understory. Um, I think mugwort might even like release like a chemical that disrupts other plants from growing around them, which just enhances their ability to like move and take up space. 
And so these friends are powerful and they're medicines, you know, mugwort is a medicine that you might work with um, to have more potent dreams. Um, you might work with mugwort in order to, you know, prepare a space for, um, you know, relationship to spirit, to be bringing spirit in an in intentional way, to be receiving messages. Um, I believe there are other medicinal aspects of mugwort that I'm still learning about. Um, and then knotweed uh, is a food source. You can eat the shoots that come up in the spring. And so, yeah, these are just some 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 dope friends. And, you know, in land conservation spaces and spaces where, you know, folks are trying to so-called restore ecosystems, trying to ensure spaces for different native plant populations, plants like mugwort and knotweed have really been demonized. You know, people call them quote unquote invasives because of the way that they can move and take those space and spread out. And it's sort of like, once they're in a space, they're not gonna, they're not leaving, they're not going anywhere. And I just think it's interesting the ways that I hear people refer to them, often white folks referring to them in these, you know, demonizing ways. And then I think about the fact that, you know, so many people are here on Turtle Island who weren't here before, who weren't here pre-European colonization. And so I'm like, well, if you're saying this about mugwort and how you just want to rip it out and we just got to get rid of them, and you say that you're prioritizing the space for the native plants. Well, what if indigenous folks came and like said the same thing to you? Which like some folks might say that. I would I would also say that, you know, the folks who I know, um, you know, Lenape folks, like people of this region, um, other friends who I have who have indigenous ancestry to Turtle Island, that's not the energy that they're coming with. I mean, it is like, okay, white folks, you need to get out of like my physical space right now because you're coming at me wild and I and white and I'm not about that. Um, and land back like immediately right now. Like, you know, so yes, all of that, but I people are not necessarily saying, oh, rip them out of here, like, you know, destroy them all, you know, and like that is to me, that is that violent colonial orientation to just annihilate, to eradicate, you know, that is the language. And to me, those, like, that's the same energy. And so, you know, when I'm encountering mugwort and knotweed, that's not the energy that I'm wanting to bring because that doesn't make sense to me. How could I, you know, the truth of the matter is there is an imbalance. When we consider the whole and not just I'm only looking at the stand of mugwort. I'm only carrying, I'm going to single out the so-called invasives. And that is the kind of, you know, conservation or management that we do. What are you actually doing? Like that is a very fragmented, uh, a fragmented orientation in my view. It's like, what do you actually, what does a space actually want to be? And what is a mugwort? What is the not we telling you about this space? What is what are they telling you about what needs to be healed? What are they telling you about the need to cover this ground? What are they telling you about, you know? And so there's, I think when we move out of that fragmented, like we only want to focus on a part or an individual and into a more holistic, a whole understanding, we may come to a place and say, actually, this mugwort is 
it would take up all these resources and energy and rage in order to try to like remove them. So why don't we figure out a way to work with them rather than trying to build our garden over there where the mugwort is, why don't we build it over there? And we respect the space of the mugwort is taking. And why don't we come and invite our friends to come, you know, respectfully harvest some mugwort because it is so abundant. Why don't we leave the white sage alone and stop appropriating uh, different medicines to the point where indigenous folks, the folks who work with those medicines aren't able to access them. And why don't we make some, some smoke bundles with all the mugwort that's around, you know? So it's, you, it, you know, there's this idea in so-called permaculture, which of course is like founded upon, you know, uh, all of our, you know, indigenous earth wisdom. Um, and it's that the problem is the solution. Um, and so that, you know, just concept has been something that, you know, I, I've been challenged by. I continue to try to figure out, you know, but again, this idea that it's like, oh, there's a problem and we have to stop it. Well, actually, let's take a, take a beat and say, what are we actually learning? You know, what is being transmitted to us? And, you know, how can that inform then what we do? How can we understand all the players involved. And so, you know, I've been learning that the the quality and the type of soil actually informs, you know, what is able to grow there. You know, and not just in a, you know, the nutrients are there, but like having rich fungal networks, you know, there are different kinds of plants that are gonna wanna grow where there's more bacteria present in the soil than more fungus. Um, and so perhaps maybe if we really want to restore an ecosystem, we want to support vitality, we should just focus on building the soil, let whoever grows grow there, and just focus on feeding and building the medium in which everyone is growing. You know, how might that be an aspect of restoring balance? Um, so yeah, so I would name I would name mugwort and knotweed as two homies who I've been learning a lot from. And I do, I I, you know, part of my role, I will remove them you know, sometimes, and I've been really, you know, I guess, pushing against, uh, you know, any like knee-jerk reaction of we must just remove and actually how do we honor and how do we recognize that, you know, that they're living beings, that they're they're necessary to life. And, and ultimately, there's a reason why they're here, and it's because some Europeans or white folks brought them over here. And so, again, it's not them that's a problem it's colonization and white supremacy that, that are the problems and so that is ultimately what we need to be you know addressing Ooh, jordan if i had a wig it would have been blown back by now because <laughs> that was a whole sermon ooh, 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 ooh. and i'm just thinking of a piece of brilliance that again you kind of let me back to as we we're preparing for this conversation and I think in a presentation you did recently, you reference a Robin Walkimura quote where they basically say, you know, in sort of earth geologic time, like we as humans have not been around for that long. And we have true elders in the form of like plants and mountains and rivers and air who have so much to teach us. They have accrued a mastery around what it means to be on earth, to be of the earth, to live in an earthly wholeness and vitality. And 
um, we're babies and we're immature and there's so much that we could be soaking up and absorbing. So thank you for that reminder. I want to get into, again, like these tools and technologies for um, moving and transitioning away from the individual. And I know an idea that we've both been excited about is this idea of decomposition. So decomposition at its very bare bones being this process of how do we unmake something and bring it down to its most constituent parts and then allow those parts to be evolved into something else. And, you know, as we segue from this idea of like what can we learn from the more than human can, um, I'm already thinking about like mushrooms, mycelium, some of the most well-known celebrated decomposers. And I think that's, there's something in there that could serve as a framework, as a tool, as a portal, as a technology for us to really renegotiate our relationship to the individual and how can that move us towards again to this place of wholeness and to this place of remembering and embracing fractality. So yeah, I'd love to know from you, um, what does decomposition mean to you? And what do you see as its place within this place of transitioning from the individual to this alternative place? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think about abolition and I think often, um, you know, the folks who are unfamiliar, you know, with processes, um, and like this idea of abolition may think of this as just destructive. It's just, we have to, something is ending, it's being abolished, you know, and I think you know, my understanding that comes, you know, from folks like Adrian, like um, folks I'm like blanking on their names, but um, is that abolition is a creative act. It's a creative process. And so, you know, you have these two sides of a coin. You have something that, you know, is dying, maybe is decaying, is breaking down so that all of the all of that energy and all of those materials and all of that possibility can then be reworked into what is created on the other end and so rather than like a singular moment rather than kind of like a violent end to something which you know could take place could happen it's also about a process you know it's about breaking things down which can take time and, you know, who knows the time scale? Maybe it does happen in a moment, you know, maybe it does happen over the course of many, many years, over the course of centuries. But this, I, this act of, we're going to break down all of this, you know, all the energy, all of the power, all the resources are being held, tied up in these systems, you know, that are violent, that are oppressive, that are destroying people and planet. And so in abolishing them, it's not just, oh, like they go away or, you know, it's like actually we're literally pulling them apart, breaking them apart so that we can move all of that that is being held up into something that is different that we are determining, that we are co-creating. Um, and for me, that looks like, that also looks like relocalizing that energy and that possibility um, and that material. You know, so rather than like the central, 
you know, hierarchy, top down, everything trickles down from a singular source. Like, like the earth doesn't, you know, perhaps you'll find that in different aspects of the earth. However, the primary orientation is of these fractals. And so you actually have vast networks and, and different nodes from which other networks and nodes are sprouting. And so it's not just a singular node that then sends everything out, you know, from itself. It, you know, it's them over there and this over here and that over there and all of it is interconnected. And so when I think about decomposition and our roles as decomposers, it is decomposing these centralized, you know, systems, hierarchies and breaking them into you know, the different nodes of possibility that are shared, that are spread out, that are distributed, you know, that will actually both be able to hold everything. And also, I think we'll just be better, we'll be better, you know, how to, what happens when, you know, we move from those like strictly representational forms of like, leadership of so-called democracy, and we, the people, actually get a chance to make decisions with each other in our own communities, in our own places, you know, about the zoning, about who gets to build what, about, you know, what resources are put into businesses that are there. You know, it's not the folks over there, it's us over here. Um, and then they over there are able to determine that for their space, and they over there are able to determine that. Um, and so, you know, I, so I do think about decomposition as this powerful tool that both applies to like the, you know, the, the earth, you know, and the way that, you know, earth materials, a plant is decaying, all the decomposers come, they come in succession, first one comes, and then the other comes, and then the other comes, and they're building on each other, and like, the work of the one before made it easier for this other one to come in to do more work. And then the other one comes in. And now we have these components, these rich, fertile, we have this soil, and now it is here for us to work within and then, you know, regrow and to, to sprout out the beauty that we're desiring to manifest. I just want to end on this question. I'm just thinking about how I think decomposition has always held this place of like sacredness you know I brought up fungi earlier and how quite literally we probably wouldn't be here without them and all the amazing decomposition work that they do in a very literal physical way to live in a healthy ecosystem from which we are part of and we benefit requires decomposers and I'm thinking about decomposition being held as sacred when thinking about people like Cleopatra who I learned um, through Leah Pinneman um, really praise earthworms for their ability to bring about fertility and again bringing about conditions that create the circumstances from which life can come from. Um, mm -hmm. so there is like this sacredness to decomposition, which has been recognized throughout time. Um, but then I think about like us and the times that we're living in and how we are living within systems that kind of almost take away and extract that sacredness, um, because we're living under systems that are so deeply committed to ideas of longevity and permanency of exponential growth. Um, and they're really, we really haven't built a culture that is comfortable and um, fully accepting of like death and decay and evolution and transformation. Um, and as someone who 
um, identifies as like a living or future ancestor, there does seem to be like this deeply felt, deeply um, inherent sense of like surrender to the fact that like one day both of us will be gone through death and transformed into you know, whatever next manifestation is like set for us in some future time. Um, but that isn't probably felt on a collective scale. And I think for me, the question then comes to how do we fully imagine the decomposition of like these systems and the decomposition of, again, going back to the theme of this episode, the individual, um, if we as a collective, if, as, if we as a society aren't able to fully, again, embrace the sacredness of decomposition, of death, of decay, of those being vehicles for transformation and evolution. And I wanna know for you, again, ending here, um, how do we reclaim that sacredness, not only as individuals, but as collectives as well? Mm -hmm. Um two things which are very much related. Um, I, th I think about the, so when I think about our ancestors, for me, that has been, that has been like that fertility from which to move because, you know, both in learning about my direct lineage and, you know, the folks who I like directly descend from, as well as, you know, within our movements, you know, when it comes to liberation for African peoples on Turtle Island. I think about maroon communities, runaway folks who are like, nope, this is not it for me and I'm leaving this place and I am actually going to use my knowledge to figure out what foods and this like wild space I can eat to survive as I'm like fleeing and trying to find refuge, you know? And we have so many stories of people doing something entirely different, saying that what is here in, in front of me, what I'm being forced to do is not it for me and I'm done with it and we're gonna do something different. And so that that abolition, that disruption, you know, that, um, what was the word, that refusal and that audacity to envision something that is different, the audacity of, you know, our ancestral grandmothers to put seeds into their hairs uh, before getting on the the transatlantic slave ships to come here, like these, we we have this. Um, we just it's just magic, you know, to just have this audacity to say these conditions that I see before me are not it, and no matter how many generations it's going to take, the work that I'm going to do is going to be to shift that. And everyone, regardless of who they are, has people in their direct lineages. And then also our collective coming from this earth, we have that innate in us. The earth has that innate. That is what evolution is. It's like an innate power. And so for me, you know, what helped, what has helped me is understanding that it's not just about the future. It's also not just about what is happening now. And it's also not just about what happened in the past. It's actually all of it. There's this time time weaving way that we can 
we can use, you know, these time weaving technologies that are able to say, oh, look what they did back there in that particular situation. Okay, now look at what we have access to now. Okay, now let's think about our most innovative and creative ideas of the future. How do we marry all of those things together? And I, for me, it has been going into the past that has been the foundation for me to then move towards liberation now and into the future. Because I come from people who did that, who were doing that. You know, that is what I come from. Their stories are what feeds me. And I think, you know, the way that colonialism and colonization has acted is actually severing people from the past, severing them from their traditions, severing, severing them from their ancestors, severing them, severing them from their practices. And for me, it's reconnecting. It's remembering that Black folks didn't just pop up one day here on Turtle Island. Um, and enslavement is not our only history. And so there's so much more to every person who exists than the narratives that we currently have. And so how do we understand or relearn other narratives that we come from? How do we understand that there are infinite possibilities of existing? And that what we see before us is not it. It's not the only one. And this too shall pass. And also that we are the ones living right now who have power to move it in a different direction. So I think about our ancestors. And then I think about one particular ancestor, Octavia Butler, who offers in Parable of the Sower, the only lasting truth is change. Oof. And I think that is literally the perfect to end on the only lasting truth is change. Jordan, thank you so much for being a part of this space. Thank you for just so many nuggets that I'm going to spend some time probably the rest of this week just noodling on and really absorbing. So thank you so much. Um, before we officially end, where can folks find you to learn more about you, connect, um, and just be engaged with the work that you're doing? Yeah. Um... Well, uh, you can connect to me on Instagram. Um, I My account is private. And so I don't always add folks um, who I don't know, but you can always message me and then I'll get the little red notification and then I can read your message. And so you can find me on Instagram. My account is at Melanated Rainbows. Um, I was just going to try to spell that, but <laughs> I might mess it up. So I, I imagine that it'll be listed in the show notes um, after uh, once this is live. Um, so you can find me there and, you know, find me in person. Um, I'm here in the so-called Hudson Valley, um, the Mahikinatuck Valley. Um, and so just a few hours of New York City. Um, and so I pop around in this region and am so excited to build deeper connections with the folks who have been here, who live here, especially queer, trans, black, brown, indigenous, people of color. Um, so yeah, find me on Instagram, find me in person, reach out. And I'm looking forward to just building deeper um, together. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Loam Listen. Again, I'm your host, Amiria Freeman. 
and this episode was edited by Isaac Selk with music provided by Isaac Selk. If you liked what you heard, please rate this episode, maybe leave a comment, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss more yummy content. Also, share this episode with someone you love, and maybe explore other episodes you haven't heard just yet. Until next time.